0: Welcome to the Watermark Church podcast. Thank you for listening. Last weekend was your first weekend. Welcome back. So glad to have you. Uh, in light of the fact that we celebrated last weekend the death and resurrection of Jesus, the cornerstone of all that we are and all that we hold dear, what better conversation to have next than faith? Talking about faith as the series continues this morning, and we're looking at the book of Hebrews. So, if you have your print Bible, crack that sucker open right now. Uh, If you use your phone for the Holy Scriptures, get your phone out and you can you can read along because I'm going to be jumping a little bit in some passages. I want you to be able to track with me. But go ahead and do that. So, we're talking about this morning. I want to talk about how we come to faith. How we come to faith. I want to talk about maybe some potentially missing pieces. Uh, that we skip over or or they become incomplete just in our practice of faith. And and I want to talk of what's required of us. I want to talk about what's required of us when we finally come to belief, when we have this belief. So who remembers the 90s classic Far and Away? Anyone? Far and Away, the old Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, uh, you know, that legendary story of uh, these Irish immigrants chasing love in the American dream. There's this epic scene. I know, don't ask me how. In the 90s, I, I mean, I could claim I'm a 90s kid, but I was a small child when this movie came out. I don't know where my parents were at, but I was watching Far and Away, I guess. It was like a 10-year-old. And uh, there's this, I'll never forget it, because there's this ending scene. It's such a great picture. This ending scene, it's it's meant to portray the Oklahoma land rush. And, and so everyone, it's like shotgun fire, and everyone goes out to to get their plot of land. And there's this dramatic fashion. There's this scene where Tom Cruise is fighting for Nicole Kidman in light of there's another suitor There's another suitor at play and, and, and he jumps on the guy and then falls to the ground and the horse rolls over him. That's why I'm not showing you the clip this morning. It's just it's too much melodrama for Sunday morning. Um, and then he dies but then somehow by some mystic force of the universe, we don't know how, he comes back to life. And, and and together this epic scene, right? Together, hand in hand, they take this this wood stake, like a construction stake, with a ribbon tied around it, and they and they they put it in the plot of land. It's an epic moment. They're they're staking a claim. You remember you remember the the classic quote. Even what what does what Tom say to her? He says, um, "All the land in the world means nothing to me without love. All the land, I would I would take it all back if I didn't have you." Right? That's what he says. He, he's staking a claim. He's staking a claim. It's not really about the land. It's about something so much bigger than that. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, staking a claim. That's the big idea. So we've heard a million messages because we've heard a million messages on faith. So isn't this kind of redundant to be up here? And we're going to talk about faith all over again. Well, let's see, shall we? Let's do a little exercise. I would like you to define faith. Right now, I'm going to pause. I'm literally keeping track of time. I'm going to pause for 15 seconds, radio, silence. And in your head, I want you to define faith. Go ahead, starting now. Go ahead, just define faith in your head. There's a full 15 seconds. I wanted to commit. I wanted to show you that you could trust me. If your definition started with, well, it's a blind dot, 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 or, or just blind trust, or blind whatever it is, I'm here to tell you that's not quite it, or, or at least you're maybe 50% there, and that's a very popular way to define faith. Maybe there's some things, I don't know what you said in your heads, we'll never know, it's between you and God, but I'm willing to bet there's some parts and pieces that have been just assembled um, from culture and from other Ideas from other people. And what I want to do this morning is give us a biblical reference point for for really the definition of faith. Because words change, words morph. The meaning of words morph and evolve over time. And and faith is no different. So let's go first through some cultural examples. Pop culture, think about the movies. I mean, we consume all these shows and our streaming services these days. And and faith will not be dodged, it's a popular subject to cover. So there's faith as belief. Dot, 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 dot. Just That's it. That's the definition. Faith merely as belief uh, in and of itself. Well, it's missing something, isn't it? It's missing an object. How about what's the object of that belief? That's very popular. It was, uh, it was even characterized in a film called Dogma. It was a kind of a satire on religion. And the quote from the movie is, um, uh, it doesn't matter what you believe, just that you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe, just that you have it. Whatever that's supposed to mean. I mean, you're getting into some serious Yoda stuff there, okay? Where we don't even know where the source of this wisdom even is. As much as I love Star Wars, as much as the next nerd, I mean, it, it, there is no try, only do. It's, it's cryptic. And what's the reference point? Where did it come from? In culture, in these reference points that we have, often talked about, but very less often specified, so, so think about it. Here's the other terms you hear in, in, in culture, and in, in the, in the, in the content that we consume. It's defined in terms of love, hope, fate, the unknown. <laughs> the unknown, seriously? That's a, that's a bummer for me if my faith is in the unknown. Um, oneself, that's very popular, isn't it? How many people do you know? How many, how many people? I'm just, I'm just going to go with the bootstraps ap- approach. I, can, I, can, I believe in myself to pull through in this situation. Or how about some other human well, I'm just, I'm believing even just my, my spouse. I just, that's where my hope lies. That's pretty close to home for a lot of us. Maybe some of us have said that. But any other human being short of Jesus, I'm not so sure. These are some cultural definitions. And guess what? There's some crummy definitions even within the church. That was culture. What about inside the church? Even inside the church, we had this spectrum of definitions. Just like every major topic in, in Christianity, faith is no different. There's a large swing. So, on the, on the conservative side, you have this faith is a moral virtue. It means you just got to have more of it. Just, just, just don't doubt. Just be loyal. Uh, it became popularized through that, that slogan. Just let go and let God, man. Just let go and let God. You've seen that on your Facebook you know, stream, I'm sure. Just let go and let God. It's, it's, just, it's a moral issue. And then you swing to the other side, the, the, the more liberal side, and it's a matter of inte- intellectual sophistication. It's, it's some kind of, it's a form of ascent based on how much knowledge you gain. And of course, the Bible walks a much more nuanced, complex road when it refers to faith. And so let's do that. We're going to jump into Hebrews. Hebrews 11, we're in chapter 11. That's our focal point that Bucky started off last week. And we're going to continue through chapter 11 today. And we're looking at verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1. This is what it says. I'm Going back, there we are. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So there's this letter written to these early Christians. They're trying to figure out what faith means really for the first time. They either came from a Jewish system, most of them, or maybe they came from the the so-called pagan or the Greek world. And they're trying to figure out this definition of faith for the first time ever. This letter is still relevant for us, isn't it? This book of Hebrews. And what Bucky talked about last week was the legends of faith, the hall of faith fame, if you will. And we're going to talk about some of those reference points, but this is how he starts it off. The author starts it off. I want to know. Before we get into it, it. what are some examples of the irrational people that you know? Who are your irrational friends and family? You know, you know what I'm talking about. The ones that are just exaggerators, the chronic exaggerators. How about they just, they're filled with opinion. Loads of opinion, and it's always horribly researched. Like, no research to back it up, but their opinion sounds really good. Who are those irrational people for you? Think about it. Well, I always have an easy target, because for me, it's, of course, my small children. Um... My three-year-old, she, she screamed the other night like a death-rattling scream for five to ten minutes because I wouldn't let her pick her pajama shirt. So um, that makes sense, though. If you have little girls, you understand they got to dress themselves. And um, so that, that happened. Uh, the other morning, how about the other morning? My, every, my other three-year-old had a tantrum because I wouldn't let him eat frozen bread. Um, that makes sense, doesn't it? That's, that's perfectly right. everyone wants to gnaw on something like, you know, f- firm for breakfast in the morning. Fortunately, guys... Fortunately, it's not the same for our faith. We have a perfectly rational, sound reasoning for what we believe, for what we say we believe. So, the first thing that we got to know this morning, we're talking about staking a claim, staking a claim in what we believe. The first thing you got to know is that we have a rational explanation for what we believe. In that first verse, it's still up there, you can see it, but there's two key words, reality in verse one, and then understand in verse three. Reality, the literal there, it means to validate through evidence. That's what it means. To validate through evidence. It's a loaded word, right? We never get it never does justice just to look at it surface level. The second word, understand, it means to think or reason. To think or reason. So I'm gonna, this is going to be a deep dive. We're talking about, ration, this first one is a rational stake for our faith. And, we're, and I'm going to deep dive here and tell you there's a conversation going on underneath these two verses that should happen for me and you. It should play out all the time as we're hearing, as we're listening to other people's definitions of faith. We should be able to pose these questions. Because the two things that are going on, the conversation here, is really about meaning. The two things, meaning and origins. Meaning and origins. And there's a guy who popularized this. His name's Ravi Zacharias. He's, he's a, he's a well known, established Christian apologist. So, so he spends his time traveling to school campuses and around the world giving defense and explanation of the faith. He says that every single worldview must answer those four questions meaning, morality, origins, destiny. Meaning, morality, origins, and destiny. So um, where do we come from? What's the point? How should we go about this? And where do we go? That's it, those four questions. That's how you should judge a worldview. Where do we come from? What's the point of it all? How should we conduct ourselves? And where do we go? Those are his four questions. When you look at verse one and three, that's what you need to be thinking right now, one through three. There's a question there about where do we come from and what's the point of it all. Let me show you. Let me show you as a practical illustration. If you were going to ask, how do you know if a person is good or bad? That's a relevant cultural conversation. How do you know if a person, a human being, is good or bad? Well, before you take the bait and start to measure what have they done and and what do they produce and how efficient are they, you got to go back and say the design of their purpose. Where did they come from? Where did they come from? And are they in line with the origins of their design? Are they in line? How successfully are they in line with where they came from and the purpose that was administered at that time? That's really the question you want to ask. And so there's a key thing. There's one key thing as you're thinking about this conversation of a rational faith. We have a rational explanation, guys. This is not just uh, magic. This is not just like the Tom Cruise movies, some mysterical, mi- mystery way that he came back to life. We have a rational, logical reasoning to stake a claim in. There's a key thing you under- need to understand that's out there in the world in terms of worldview. And Bucky talks about this all the time. It's a, it's a staple. It's a pillar of our conversation of faith. But it's this so-called scientific or naturalist worldview. Part of their thing is that it's only the natural laws. Well, part of the natural wa- laws suggest there, there is no creator. There is no intelligent creator. That's part of their, their fundamental answer. And if that's true, by the way, the next thing follows in the natural laws, which is that everything you know about life... Love, relationships, emotion, connections that you have are are simply neurons and atoms. That's it. Because that's a merely natural scientific explanation. Now, at this church, quick digression. We believe in science. We believe in technology. These are wonderful things. I do not personally believe they need to be antagonistic. That's not what I'm talking about here. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But it's key to understand in the perspective of the world, if they're answering that question the way science does, we did not come from created a creator, we did not come from an intelligent creator, that means that everything is meaningless. Did you see the jump I made there? It's a pretty big jump. If we came from nothing and we go to nothing, and everything else in between is just atoms and synapses and neurons firing, that's it. That's their definition. The love you feel for your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend or your kids, it's just chemical. That is the definition. I'm not reading into that. I'm not misconstruing something. That is the way that they outline it. And so whether someone fits nicely out there in culture, a young person you're talking to, a non-believer, whether they would qualify themselves as a a naturalist or or a scientific, whatever, they they have to answer those same questions. They may just say, I don't believe in anything. But they still have to answer those same questions. Well, back to the question. How do we know? How do we test and how are we supposed to know whether a person is good or bad? And this is the following statement because this is what I hear all the time. This is what I hear from de-churched young people or or people who have never been to church before, people of all ages, really. And this is what you'll hear. I wonder if you've heard it, too. Well, they're a really good person. They're just, they're a good human being. They're a good person. And and then the other statement, which is the cousin to that statement, well, you know what? Um, God is love, man. God is love. They're quoting John, by the way, but they don't even know it. God's love. Or, you know, I just believe in love. Do you see how that rubs up against what I said a second ago? In, in, in both hands, in both phrases, they're holding this, this principle of love as their faith, as what they're staking their claim in, but they're also suggesting, no, it didn't come from, a, from an intelligent creator, but we're just, we've suggested that if you don't believe in the origins piece, then this love piece that you're building your whole life on is non-existent. It's neurons and atoms and synapses, and it's, it's just chemistry. Do you see how those two things go in there? Are you guys tracking with me? Yes? All right, I saw some heads nodding, and I'll go for that because we're not yet uh, in the verbal uh, space yet. But it's important. Faith begins to help you make sense of those questions and those conversations. You have to be able to have an answer for that. In the Bible, this thing right here, and looking at this verse, 1 through 3, has a logical, tangible explanation for that. What does it have to do? I'll say it one more time so it's really clear. It's so important. What does it have to do with staking a claim? Staking a claim of faith, Ben. The connection is this. If you just put all aside world religions, put all of the world religions aside for a second and just handle the two major ones, which is true, at least in the United States. Christianity and the secular, or, or like I've said, natural or spiritual. People don't want to use natural. find they're just spiritual. They still have to answer those questions. If you just took those two, they both have to answer those questions. Where did we come from and what's the point? So what I've sought to, what, what I've sought to show you in this first point is that one of these worldviews suggests that there is... We come from nothing, we go to nothing, therefore everything in between is meaningless. And then there's another, rather uniquely, that's backed up by this thing right here, that points to an unseen world. Look at verse 3, back to verse 3. Draw your attention to verse 3. That's what he's talking about. The unseen world, which points to where we've come from. Which points to a creator. And you can begin to see why, if we just said it's blind, it's blind, that's not actually helpful when we define our faith that way. Because what the author is saying here, I see, what I see is a reflection of the unseen. And therefore, I have answers for where we came from and what life is about. That's an that's, that's amazing, rational claim for what we believe, you guys. That is a strong, confident answer to hold as you go out and you have God conversations. All right, so we spent some time there. It's important. We're talking about staking a claim, and we have to have this starting place. Like I said, this chapter 11 in Hebrews is talking about these legends of the faith. Abel, as in Cain and Abel. Abel, he, he had this acceptable offering he brought to God. That's why he's a legend. Enoch. Enoch was so awesome. He just exited this world. He didn't even die. He just had this crazy, mysterious, unique relationship with God. God just took him away. How about Noah? Noah in his madness mission. Noah had this madness mission to build a boat. And then Abraham in the way he kept. He he believed in God's promises. Sarah, having a child in her old age. These are all the names listed in the rest of that chapter. You can go back. I just want to talk about one example. I want to talk about Abraham. So if we go over, let's read verse 8. So verse 8 is here. It says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed what God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. He was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You see, this morning I want you to hear this. The rational, logical, even explicable part of our faith is nice. It's good, but it's nothing without the other side of the coin. It's nothing without the other side of the coin, which is a personal call. A personal, direct, individual call. An intimate call. Verse 8 says, it was by faith, as you're looking up there, look up there at verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God, what? Call. We're going to do it. I'm going I'll to, I'll do it as many times as we need to. I don't even care. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what, and you're going to say called. That's the answer. I'm going to even gonna give you the answer, okay? Abraham obeyed when God, what? Oh. That's right. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God, what? Oh. Great job. I'll take 78% people per- reporting. Good. Okay. That word call, called, it's used a bunch of times in the New Testament. It comes from this word kaleo, kaleo. It means to name. It means to invite. What is more personal than an invitation? Then, then I, I, I named you. I'm calling you into this, Abraham. You want to know how God comes at you? You want to know how God comes after you with this call? I want to give you another example. There's this guy named Francis Thompson. Francis Thompson was somewhat of a renowned poet. He lived about 100 years ago. Uh, He was an opium addict. Uh, Ultimately, he died of TB at the age of 50, but uh, he was an opium addict. And a a Christian family took him into their home. They helped get him published, some of his poetic works. And and one of the works that he was most known for is this poem called The Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven. It, It envisions God as that hound coming after us. And I I want to put it up there so you can look at it and then I'm going to read it out loud. But it's a little old English, but hang with me. It's powerful. It says, Nigh and nigh draws the chase with unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, and past those noisy feet. A voice comes yet more fleet. Lo, not contents thee, or who contents not me. Naked I wait, thy love's uplifted stroke, my harness piece by piece. Thou has hewn from me and smitten me to my knees. I am defenseless utterly and pulled my life upon me, grimed with smears. I stand ama- amid the dust of the mounded years. My mangled youth lies dead beneath the heap. My days have crackled and gone up in smoke, have puffed and burst as sun starts on a stream. Here's a translation for those of us who didn't speak Old English. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the chase, so does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. So does God offer his call for you and for me with his divine grace. Divine grace that follows after till the soul feels its pressure, forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. There's a young man, um, used to be a student of mine, and, uh, He's a 20-something, and he came back into my life, and I don't know why. Somehow I must be relevant to him. And uh, he'll call me and text me, and and, um, I I got a FaceTime call from him uh, Easter morning. And uh, there he was on video uh, doing drugs, doing hard drugs. That was what happened. That was two hours before I came into church that day. And I thought to myself, you know, my first reaction was, um, I should just be done with this kid. Why why should I invest the time? He he doesn't care. To do something like that is so flagrant. Just, you know, why? And then the more I thought about it, I thought about this hound of heaven. I thought, you know what? I'm going to come after this kid. I'm coming after him until he has to block me in text message. He has to block me from calling him up. I'm going to come after him. And in my small, tiny semblance trying to reflect what God does after you, after your kids, after your friends and family, and after me. This hound of heaven who comes relentlessly with this personal call. The rational stake of faith is nothing without this personal call. And that's our God who's coming after us. Here's the equation. I've got an equation for you because everything's easier with an equation, right? Here's what it looks like. Here's what I want you to think about. Rational rational. Um, here it is. Rational belief plus a personal call equals staking a claim. That's what we're talking about this morning staking a claim. And I'm defining staking a claim. This is a loaded definition, but track with me. This is one of those important things I want you to hear. Defined as a total and radical overhaul of your entire life's purpose, value, priorities, and investments. How's that for up in the ante? You all started with a definition maybe this morning of trust is just to believe and, and, and to stand on God's promises. That's true. That's great. That's halfway there. But then we forfeit and we sacrifice our entire purpose, value, priorities, and investments. There's a reorientation that happens. And those great men, it was no different. For those great people, Noah, Abraham, Moses, they were stopped dead in their tracks by that hound of heaven. Yes, they questioned. Yes, they doubted. We're going to come back to that. But despite the doubt, despite the crisis of faith, they went again and again against the grain and against the flow. I love that terminology as a counterculture. That's the word. It's more of a buzzword today. But that's what those people, those legends of the faith did. They were countercultural. And can you see how that's relevant for you and me today as as people who are self-proclaimed Christians, Are we against the flow or or in this huge rat race? I want you to picture just all these bodies heading down a lane. Are we just headed the same direction after the same values, priorities, and purposes? We're called to be against that grain and against that flow just like these people who went before us. Why? How? Because when you get the call, it changes every single purpose of your life. There's another great... Preacher, author, scholar named Tim Keller. He, he calls it the big either or. The big either or. Either there's no God and everything's meaningless. Remember the worldview I talked about earlier? Either there's no God and everything is meaningless, or there is a God and there's nothing else that could ever take first place in your life. The leap from rational to personal is a big deal and it must happen. I'll give you one more illustration here. One more illustration. The, law, the second law of thermodynamics, how's that for heady? Is that pretty heavy? Who can tell me right now? Just off the top of their head because they just, you know, that stuff's rambling around there. Second law of thermodynamics, what is it? Things are in decay. I'll give you the real simple version. Things are in decay. What does that mean? It means that we're all sitting here wrinkling and fattening by the second. That's what it means. It's true. I'm sorry. Negative news. I'm starting with the negative. I'm going to go to the positive illustration. It means we're all sitting there and everything is in decay. It's the same thing for, as we go back to rational for a second, it's the same thing for every intellectual awesome idea that was around 100 years ago. What happened to that information? What happened to that so-called knowledge? It's nearly obsolete. To obey God, to stake a claim on his promises, means you lose the foundation of whatever was previously significant to you. You're going to abandon those stakes of security and investments elsewhere for a new hope and a new future. You know, God, in his personal call, he's there steadily saying, no, don't do that. No, don't go over there. Trust my word, my way, my preferred future. That's the brilliance of the Francis Thompson poem. That's why, that's why I left that last stanza on there. He talks about the dust and the heap and the crackled mound. He's looking around the investments and the priorities in life, and he's saying, that's what it was in the end. That's what it was. If it wasn't rooted and staked on this one person, this one truth, this one word, if it wasn't rooted on those things, that's what it was, a heap. How about one that's a little bit more our language? Think about it in terms of a real, actual marketplace investment. If I told you that you could buy a share of Apple in 1980 at $22, what would you do? What would you do? You would buy that stock! you get crazy after that stock! You would buy it! You snatch it up for $22 a share, no question. And yet, some of us today, you guys, we have that same insider trading information and we haven't bought the stock. We haven't laid it down. Our stake is in a lot of different places, you guys. We have stakes all over the place the security pieces, the accumulation pieces, these other investments all over the place, left and right, and we haven't staked a claim. Here's what I want to say about doubt. This is the last thing I'm going to say. If you've answered these questions, if you've answered these questions around reasoning and, 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 and rational, and you've got this personal call, which most of these people in the room today, you have, most of us have, you've arrived at this Christian worldview, then, then God has made implications for our lives. There are implications that come with that faith. Because from where you came from and why you're here, it dictates destiny. It points us to that next question that every world you must answer. When you've gone through those issues of, of why are we here, there are implications for the rest of our lives. And look at this. Just look at this. If you think that there's no matter of doubt here, doubt does play into it. And I want to give us a reference. If you go back, if you look at this verse, this is actually from Genesis 15. We're skipping over that. Let's see, where are we here? Genesis 15. This is when Abraham got his call, going from Hebrews over to Genesis 15. This is what it says. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. Let's see. Sorry, we're going one more. Abraham replied, verse 2. Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. So even Abraham, the epic legend of faith. What do you read here? Abraham had some investments in plan B. Here he is, the author of Hebrews, citing Abraham as one of the first fathers of real, genuine faith. It was credited to him as faith. Even before Jesus came along, that's what the passage says. It was credited to him as faith. Abraham is this pretty high, amazing legend in bar. And he's honestly coming before God saying, God, I'm ready for plan B. I got some investments tied up over here." So if you're sitting here this morning you're suffering from that same line of questioning and some volume of doubt and you have your investments tied up in other places because it feels like right now those are good to you and those are returning. There's a great return on those investments. I want you to consider this as, as you consider the, the question of doubt. One more, one more verse here. This comes from Mark, Mark 9, one of my favorite stories. My favorite stories. This father has a son, he's sick, he's he's actually possessed. And they bring him before Jesus. I love this. Verse 21. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. I love this. This is like sassy Jesus. This is my sassy Jesus right here. What do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. It said cried out. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Imagine the torment of this father. People come to me all the time. Oh, Ben, how are you? and Riley really doing. Getting up so much in the night. God bless them. They're giving us sympathy, giving us grace. Imagine being the father of this boy. Sleepless, restless, tormented. So many questions. What's going on with him? How come I can't get a diagnosis? You've lived there. Some of you in the room have lived there today, are living there right now. How could a perfectly good God have a sickness or, 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 or death or, or whatever it is that's a challenge to your faith that's causing you to doubt? We're in that moment right now. We're crying out like the Father. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And I'm there. I'm there just like this Father. That resonates. If you're struggling with doubt, if your faith, listen to this. This is a, this is a piece right here. If your faith has to go somewhere, your faith has to go somewhere. And the truth is, if it's not in God, it's in something else. All of us are making a decision every day, consciously, unconsciously. We're making a decision to put our faith somewhere. All faith goes somewhere. It's invested somewhere. But if it's in something else, the only problem is, you guys, it can't pay for your sins. That thing can't pay for your sins. It will not offer the same return. What do I want you to hear in that? What I want you to hear is that God, through sending his son Jesus, comes after us with that hound of heaven, that grace. He comes after us with the grace upon grace upon grace. That even when we return not in kind, when we do not respond the way that we ought, because he's the maker of heaven after all. And if he's the maker of heaven, that means he controls it all. He's in control. That's my weakness. That's where I go to. Instead of doubt, I go to control. I want to play God. I want to act God. How many men in the room are feeling the same way if you'd really admit it? We're putting our claims in those other places and they will not return with a gracious response. So as we end, you guys, I want to encourage you, join the ranks. Let us join the ranks of those who have put a stake in the ground on God's promises. They didn't know what. They didn't always know when. They definitely didn't know how, but they knew with whom. They knew with whom because they had a personal call. They had a personal invitation. And they had a rational reasoning that was an anchor for them. They didn't know how. They didn't know when. They didn't always know the what, but they knew with whom. You have that same assurance afforded to you if you take a deep dive into this word. All of us can have that type of experience. We can all have that type of relationship, that intimate relationship with the Father, which will help us stake those claims of faith. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your promises, God. There's some of us in the room right now, Lord, who are in the thick of doubt because of circumstance, because of challenge, because of trial, because we have tried the model of making investments in other places besides at your feet and it hasn't worked out. It's returned void. It's taken us out. Jesus, I pray for for all of those in the room who are struggling with doubt or maybe they're they're, they're questioning, they're reasoning or they're afraid what it would be to take the leap, please be our encouragement this morning. All I can ask is that through your Holy Spirit, which is a gift to every believer, a companion to every believer, all I can say, God, is give us, give us that encouragement that we could cry out like that, Father. Help us in our unbelief. And how did you respond for that, Father, by the way? You responded, Lord. Even in his unbelief, you responded. Help us, Jesus, in our unbelief, and help us stake a claim. And the God of the universe and the God of the Bible. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.